This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. We're going to be looking at 1 Samuel chapter 17 today. For such a time as this, God has designed these series of sermons to be preached right now. And we never question God. He's too wise to make a mistake. He loves us too much to do us wrong. And so when you take all of that into consideration, you know that his time is the perfect time. And so that's the peace that I have in my heart about bringing this particular kind of sermon series to you this late in my life. And today we're speaking on this message as we bring a conclusion to the series, There Is a Cause. And I'd like for you to notice with me in 1 Samuel chapter 17, and again, they will get these scriptures on the screen for you. I'm going to be rehearsing today a very familiar story in the Bible. In fact, it's a story that probably most of you have heard and learned from childhood. When you were in Sunday school at a very early age, there's no doubt in my mind, this is probably one of the stories that you learned. There's probably not too many people in here today that could not tell you the story about Daniel and the lion's den, or that could not tell you the story about the three Hebrew children in the fiery furnace or could not tell you the story about Samson placing his hands on the pillar, the pillars and asking God to give him the power just one more time. And there's no doubt in my mind that most everybody in here today is familiar with this passage. I personally have led many of you to the Holy Land with me on numerous times and I thank God and I have had the privilege of standing in the very location where our scripture speaks to us today, the Valley of Elam. But I read for you now in 1 Samuel chapter 17, beginning with verse number 19. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the Valley of Elam, fighting with the Philistines. And David rose up. By the way, let me say this, that when I took several of you with me on this particular trip, because not every trip to Israel, the Holy Land, do we go to the Valley of Elah. It's, it's quite a distance from the tour, and we have to make exceptions to the rule to very often to go into this direction. But when you go there, it's, it's an incredible place because on two sides of the valley, it's very mountainous. And then you can see as you look over the valley, these mountains, and you can see how it just funnels down to this area to where this one-time stream flowed by, and I have had the bus driver to pull over on the side of the road, and I've allowed you to get off of the bus, some of you that has gone with me, and we've actually gone down to the Valley of Elah, and I've allowed you to get the five smooth stones from the brook. And so it's with great memory that I reflect upon these words today. In verse number 20, And David rose up early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper 
and took and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the trench as the host was going forth to the fight and shouted for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had put the battle in array, army against army. And David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage and ran into the army and came and saluted his brethren. And as he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines and spake according to the same words. And David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man that has come up? Surely to defy Israel is he come up, and it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine and taketh away the approach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him after this manner, saying, So shall it be done to the man that killeth him. And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? Basically, he was saying, What in the world are you doing here? This is a man's job. You need to get back to keeping the sheep. You've got just a few of them to deal with anyway, and how in the world have you left them and come out to this place? And with whom hast thou left the sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and thy naughtiness of thy heart. For thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. And David said, What I have now done? And here is the question. Is there not a cause? Now I want you to think about this because we're going to draw the conclusion on the sermon series with that question today, is there not a cause? Because we're talking about serving the Lord together. You're very familiar with this story. The Philistines were encamped on one side, the children of Israel on the other, the Valley of Elah in between. Goliath had come out many times prior to this occasion, blaspheming God, challenging the people of God. And really, the Israelites had squatted down in fear and in trembling because they knew that they did not have the means or the ability, the resources, the army, the man that it would take to defeat this champion of the Philistines. And so David was a man of curiosity. Yes, he was. And we see that all throughout his kingdom. But he was also a man of vigilance. 
He was a man of sincerity. We see that all throughout his kingdom. And some of those particular traits played out in his youth and in his childhood. He could not stand the fact that Israel was being belittled every single day by really one man. And so he gives his sheep over to a watchman and begins to wander off and he gets to this place, the Valley of Elah, and he's with great curiosities. He's beginning to look all around him and he's seeing his brethren squatted down and hiding and maybe watching their knees rattle and shake with this great opposition that was before him. He heard the giant come out and challenge the armies of God. And David was just behooved by the fact that nobody was getting involved in the dire circumstance. And in the roughage of this entire event, David stands up and he challenges his own family, who's now pretty much belittling him telling him to get back to the flocks. He has no business to be here. This is not a child's game. David, bold with vigor and with energy and with the abilities he thought in his heart to overcome this situation, he wasn't easily moved or persuaded to go back to the wilderness. And so as they begin to say, get out of here, you're in trouble. This is not a place for a child. David rears back and he asks this soul-searching question. He said, wait a minute. And I can see him now as he begins to look all across the valley. He's looking at his brethren. He's looking at the army. He's sizing them up. He certainly has sized up Goliath, but I'm sure he's sizing up his own brethren and, and the the comrades of the Israelites, and he's turning to them and he's basically saying, what's wrong with you? Surely there is somebody here that will challenge this man. David rears back and he says, is there not a cause to get involved and to get engaged? And that's really the thrust of the entire series that we've been talking about. Is there not a cause? Is there not a reason for us? And I'm not talking about the universal church this morning. I'm talking about the local New Testament church. I'm talking about Buford Road Baptist Church. And I want to ask you collectively this morning, those of you that are watching and those of you that are here, is there not a cause? Is there not a reason for us to rise up and to get busy and to put our hands on the plow and serve the Lord here as a people of Buford Road? Is there not a reason for that? Is there not a cause? Now, one of the interesting things about this particular story is this, that David was 15 years old when he asked this question. Now, think about his father, his brethren. I'm sure there were many men of age that were standing around, but David now, and I'm sure it's with curiosity, it's with energy, and it's with great expectation. He was up for a fight. He was up for a scrape. And when he says, is there not a cause, you have to keep in mind his youth. He was only 15 years old. I've said many times, I love to see people serve the Lord, young people serve the Lord. 
I, I enjoy every time I see Kenley sing and the family sing, all of you that are serving the Lord. I love to see Trey when he's taking up the offering or working in the parking lot. I, I like to see these young people back in the media department. I love to see young people serving God. You may not know this, but the 16th king of Judah, his name was Josiah. And Josiah was only eight years old when he came to the throne. Can you imagine that? And I will emphasize something about Josiah. Josiah did not come up through the ranks of a Christian home and a family. In fact, if you take time to study the kings, Josiah's father was Ammon, and he was a very wicked man. And Josiah's grandfather was Manasseh, and he was a very wicked man. But Josiah was a very godly young boy, and, a very, and I don't know how that happened because he wasn't raised in the home of a righteous man. By the way, he reigned for 31 years in Judah. And one of the things that Josiah did when he became king at eight years old, he began to tear down all of the idolatry, all of the idol worship that his father had set up previous to him. And he was also going to, at some point, deal with his grandfather's sins as well. And this is the interesting thing about Josiah and coming to the throne at a very early age, that God's, he, he held back the judgment that was about to be hurled upon Judah because of the godliness and the godly ways that Josiah decided to walk in. And I find it very incredible that Josiah was able to be such a godly individual without being raised in a godly home. You stop and think about that. He was a great believer in Jehovah. In fact, I want to give you a passage of Scripture in 2 Kings this morning. You don't have it on your bulletin, and I would encourage you to write it down. It's the most interesting verse, and it probably would be a verse that would amaze you when you stop to think about the different kings that Israel had, the king of Judah especially, in 2 Kings chapter 23, I want you to see this verse. It's very important and very amazing. In verse number 25, 2 Kings chapter 23 and verse number 25, and this is what the word says. And this is talking about Josiah. And like unto him was there no king before him. Now you think about that. No king like him before him. That includes David, a man after God's own heart. That includes Solomon. Look at this. There was no king before him that turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might according to all the law of Moses. Look at this. This is significant. Neither after him. 
arose there any like him. Josiah was an incredible man, but the point is this. He was eight years old when he came to the throne, and he had a passion to serve God at such an early age. So for anybody to tell me that God cannot use children and God cannot use young people, you need to direct them to this passage of Scripture right here. God can use young people. In fact, God wants to use young people. Young people can be used of the Lord in incredible and wonderful and mighty ways. There was no king like him before him and no king according to the scriptures after him. Neither after him arose there any like him. So I believe this, that there's several young people in our church today that are serving the Lord. And I'm so thankful for that. And I give God the praise for that. I'm extremely proud of them. But we need more. And I encourage every young person that might be in this service to find a place of service and get busy for the Lord. And again, we've not asked anybody in the church to dig tunnels and climb poles and lay cables. We're not talking about that kind of thing. But very simple things. In fact, if you look where you're sitting right now, in front of you, there are some blue envelopes. And I have mentioned this before. There are giving envelopes. There are stewardship envelopes. Just three months ago, my father passed away, but he was the one who put, and probably you're sitting in a pew where he actually put the blue envelope in the pew rack before you. It's a very simple thing. Some of you are sitting in a place where there are tissue packets or where there's hand sanitizer. You see, we're not asking you to dig tunnels. These things are so simple that even a child could get involved and serve the Lord. God wants us all to serve him and to serve him with gladness and to serve him with joy. I believe one of the modern-day problems with Christianity is this. And I mentioned in the very beginning of this series that this was probably going to be the most difficult series that I've ever preached in these last 40-some years because this is the real deal. You don't have to leave here today wondering what I was talking about. This all comes home in full circle to every one of us. And as these sermons were very direct in the beginning, they conclude in the same fashion. But listen carefully. I believe that one of the problems in modern-day Christianity is that many people think that they have done God a huge favor simply by showing up in church. But if we think that, if we think that we have done God a huge favor just by being here, then we are prone to believe that this is all that God requires of us just to show up. And then if you're not careful, apathy will rule the hearts instead of Jesus. But God has not saved us and called us to sit in spiritual hot tubs and simply soak up stuff.
We all have been saved for a cause. We all have been saved for reasons. We have all been saved to serve. That's our call. Serving God is our mission. In Romans 15, verse 16, the word says that I should be the minister or servant of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. And in Romans 15, 25, the word says, but now I go to Jerusalem to minister, to serve unto the saints. And so every Christian has been assigned to an active involvement to ministry. There is a cause. There is a reason. God wants every single believer to serve and to minister. And I believe that there are five profound points, and I'm going to go through them very carefully, five profound areas of service. Again, eight weeks ago when I passed out at the end of the service a card revealing the areas of the church where we need help in the ministry, You've heard the word and you have received the challenge. I pray that you have been praying over the last eight weeks as well. And today we're going to receive these cards at the end of the service. But let me mention five important areas where we can all be involved in. Number one is the ministry of encouragement. In Romans chapter 15, verses 1 through 7, the scripture says this, we then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please or serve his neighbor for his good to edification. For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that are reproached thee fell on me, for whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scripture might have hope. Now the God of patience and consolation, if you are accustomed to writing your Bible, I would encourage you to underline that word, consolation. Grant you to be like-minded, look at this, one toward another, according to Christ Jesus that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, receive you one another, as Christ also received us to the glory of God. The key to these verses is found in verse number 5, and it's the word consolation. And by the way, that's the same word as encouragement. And so without question, God is a God of encouragement, God hasn't called a single one of us to look down under juniper trees and grumble and gripe and complain. And listen, if you walked into the church this morning and somebody walked up to you and gave you 10 minutes of depression, they ought to be ashamed of themselves. That's not what you need when you walk into the house of God. Really, who needs that anyway? He calls us to look up, not to look down. He calls us to look up because our redemption draws nigh. Time is short. Jesus is coming back again. We have a ministry of encouragement. God never sends the Holy Spirit our way to discourage us, never. Encouragement ought to be a vibrant and clear and visible characteristic for every single believer. 
We need to be an encourager to one another. That's a ministry, and especially to a weaker brother or a weaker sister. Look again at Romans chapter 15 and verse number 1. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Now, here's an undeniable truth, and I hope that you get this. If you want to look for reasons to criticize your brother or your sister, why did he say that? Why did she do that? They ought to be doing this and they ought to be doing that. Listen, if you want to look for reasons to criticize your brother or sister, there is no problem. You can find a whole truckload of things to grumble about. But if you want to find reasons to criticize be careful because that's not of the Holy Spirit. If that's what you want to do, you can find reasons. If you want to find reasons to criticize the church, you can find reasons. If you want to find reasons to even criticize me, you can find reasons. You can find the abundance of things to criticize if that's your goal and your mission. But I promise you this, you can be just as successful in looking for and finding positive things and blessings and opportunities to encourage others just as well. It all depends upon what you're looking for, what you're searching for. And the truth of the matter is this, there are people all around us that need encouragement. Let me encourage you to be a willing participant, to put your arms around somebody, maybe around somebody even today and say, can I pray for you? Now, I spoke on this just a little bit a few weeks ago, and the problem is this. If I encourage you to put your arms around somebody and speak to them just for a moment and say, can I pray with you? You might say, well, they, they might want me to do that. They just might. You might be talking to somebody that came in here today with the well of their life getting ready to burst with trouble and tears and heartaches and problems. They might have come in here today with their hearts so burdened down, and all it takes is for one person to say, can I pray with you? Can I pray for you? Can I do something for you? Just think about that for a moment. All of us can ask God to help us to be an encouragement to somebody that's weak or that's struggling. Maybe today, maybe sometime this week. Number two is the ministry of evangelism. In Romans 15, 8, now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to conform the promises made unto the fathers. Now the term here, circumcision, is a term for the Jews. You know that Jesus himself was a minister to the Jews. And we have to remember this, that Jesus came first to bring the Jewish people to a saving knowledge of himself. In fact, the scripture says in John 1.11, this is not in your bulletin today. You can write this scripture down. But in John 1.11, the word says, he came unto his own and his own received him not. In John 4, the word says, you worship, you know, not what? We know what we worship for salvation. Look at this. Salvation is of the Jews. He came first to his own people. Never forget that salvation came through a Jewish Messiah. So in all actuality, Jesus came as an evangelist to seek and to save that which was lost. In fact, that's what the gospel of Luke chapter 19 teaches us. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Now, something clearly presented in the scripture is this. God gave the apostle Paul the gift 
of evangelism. And I've mentioned this many times that all of us have at least one gift, every believer. And in Romans 15, 16, the word says that I should be the minister or the servant of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. So Jesus came to set this example. And in comparison, Paul calls, or our, our cause, he brings into focus that our cause to serve was to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. And this is to continue to flow throughout all the world. We all have a responsibility. This past week, I met a person that was a Hindu. I don't know how many of you have ever had opportunities to witness to somebody like that. But if you take time and, and take the time to witness to somebody of this persuasion, it's just as difficult trying to share the gospel with a Jehovah's Witness or Mormon. Trying to reach a Hindu is something else, but I had a wonderful experience. I had a peaceful talk. I had a wonderful opportunity. Every one of us has been called to share the gospel. Jesus said we're salt and light. And there should not be a misunderstanding. Listen carefully now. In the church, every believer has been called to bring souls to Christ. Not too long ago, I passed out this to the entire congregation. It's the plan of salvation. How you can go about winning somebody to Christ. And I told you to laminate it. Put it in your Bible. Don't ever lose it. It's not complicated. Many times people have called me during the night and of all hours of the day and say, I've got this person, they're in the hospital, they may not make it, and preacher, I know they're not safe. Can you come down here and witness to Christ? And I've done that probably hundreds of times. But let me tell you this, every person who claims to be a believer, who knows the Lord Jesus as their Savior, you ought to be able to take your Bible and show somebody how they can go to heaven and spend eternity with the Lord. All of us. And if you can't do it from me, listen, you do this often enough, it'll all come to you in a rhythm. But if you cannot recall these scriptures, man, and I tell you, the older you get, it, the more difficult it is to, is it just me that's just having this problem? The other day, my wife, she called me. She was out getting a doctor's appointment, and she said this to me. She said, I'm going by Taco Bell. Do you want me to get you something? I said, yeah. I said, get me a Taco Supreme. And I said, and tell them to put that white stuff on it. <laughs> she pushes the question. I, and she said, what? I said, I can't think of the word. And she said, she wrote me this note back. She said, don't you say another word to me the next time it happens to me. What you're trying to say is sour cream. Man, it's too early for that, right? 
But listen, you, you say, preacher, it's impossible. I can't remember all of these verses. And really and truly, there are not that many. However, I gave this to you for a reason. And that is, listen, this is, this is the simple plan of salvation. Salvation is not complicated. I came to the Lord when I was five years old. I didn't understand it all then. I don't know that I understand it all now. I told you the other day, I love him because he first loved me. But look, on the back of this card, it's the sinner's prayer. Somebody, Murdy was telling me a few months ago, she said, I took, my brother was dying, and she said, I took this prayer card that you had, and, and I had laminated it. I took it with me, and I was able to, you remember that, Cindy? I was able to win my brother to Christ, because you had given me the plan of salvation. I had the sinner's prayer right here. He prayed it and gave his heart to Jesus. I'm telling you, it's not complicated. God has given all of us the responsibility that is taken on his name that have been washed and redeemed by his blood who has been set free from sin. God has given us the commission to tell all the world, go into all the world and preach the gospel, but we have got to be able to know what to do. All of us are soul winners. He that winneth souls are wise. In Matthew 28, verse 18, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. So winning souls ought to be our highest priority. Ask the Lord to lay some soul on your heart today. A couple of years ago, I preached a series entitled, Who's Your One? Who's your one that you're praying earnestly for to be saved? Number three, there's the ministry of prayer. Again, we're not asking people to dig tunnels and build towers lay cables. Look at this, Romans 15, verse 30 and 31 again. Now, beseech your brethren by the Lord Jesus, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake, and for the love of the Spirit that you strive together with me in your prayers to God, that I may be delivered from them that do not believe Judea, and that my service which I have for Jerusalem may be accepted of the saints. Now, look at this, for the sake of or for the cause of Christ, and for the love of the Spirit. Paul was asking for a very specific prayer to be answered in verse number 31, that I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea, that my service which I have for Jerusalem may be accepted of the saints. Let me remind you of this. Sometimes when Paul prayed, he got his prayers answered in the way that he was praying. Sometimes when Paul prayed, he did not get his prayers answered in the way that he was praying. There's probably not a person in here that does not have a person in their life, or maybe you yourself, that doesn't have a loved one who has something seriously wrong with them physically. And you're praying earnestly for God to heal them, for God to touch them. 
Let me say this. John said, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health. But in spite of what some people of the world may believe, not everybody gets healed in this life. But if you know Jesus as your Savior, let me say this, you are a winner either way. Because if God touches you with healing in this life, to God be the glory, you can step back and say, all hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. But if God chooses for whatever reason not to heal you on this earth, I promise you as a child of God, you will be healed on the street of gold. Somebody told me the other day, Pastor, you have the gift of healing. And I said, no, I don't. And they said, yes, you do. I said, no, I don't. And they said, everybody's been given the gift of healing. I said, I can't heal anybody. I've never healed anybody. I said, but let me tell you this. If I could heal one person, you know what I would do for the rest of my life? If I could heal people, I'd spend every day that God would give me a sound brain wave and breath in my body. I'd send every I'd spend every day at St. Jude's Hospital, even though that was a Catholic organization, and I'd walk up and down the floors of St. Jude. If I could heal anybody, I would heal a child. But I cannot heal anybody. I've never claimed to heal anybody. I cannot heal people, but I know a man who can. And sometimes God says yes, and sometimes God says no. And in Paul's case, he was a recipient of both of those areas. We should never underestimate the power of prayer. Don't ever quit praying for people you know and love who are hurting and who are sick. James 5.16, confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. But sometimes, sometimes God has a different plan. When I was standing in my mom and dad's kitchen, she's here today, and she's been doing great since my dad passed. And I put his hand, my hand on his chest when he took his last breath, and he said, and I said to them, he's gone. I want you to know something. I had been praying for weeks that God would raise him up. But God had a, a better plan than mine. He had a, he had a, let me tell you this. My dad would not come back to this earth for all the gold in Fort Knox, Kentucky. Oh my goodness. If I prayed something like that, God send him back. I think God would let him look through the windows of heaven and ask me, have you lost your mind? Nobody who has ever crossed the great divide would want to come back to this sin-oppressed world. Regardless of our situation, however, we can all pray. We can all pray, all be prayer warriors. We can all serve God by doing that. Number four, quickly, I've got to close. There's a ministry of fellowship. 
In Romans 16, 1 through 7, the word says, And I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is the servant, the minister, the servant of the church, which is in Trenchera, and that ye may receive her in the Lord, and become in saints, and that ye assist her in whatsoever business she hath of you. For she hath been a succor of many, and of myself, and greet Priscilla and Aquila. Most of you are familiar with those two wonderful people, my helpers in Christ Jesus, who have for my life laid down their own necks, unto whom not only I give thanks, but also unto the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Salute my well-beloved Ephraim, in whom the firstfruits of Achaia unto Christ. Greet Mary, who bestowed much labor on us. Salute Andronius and Una, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners whom are a note among the apostles who also were in Christ before me. And the word servant here, it means to minister. And there's so many ways to do that. We have been called to be a soul winner, to be a friend, to be an encourager. The ministry of fellowship, my preacher son in Raleigh, Brian, listen, here's the God's honest truth. You could take, Brian has such a personality. He loves people. You could take Brian. I was telling somebody this the other day. You could take Brian and put him on a street corner, and within 10 minutes, he would have 10 friends. That's just the personality he has. That's the gift that God has given him, the ministry of fellowship. We, we need to know how to make people feel loved, and that's something that we can all do. Paul received people of various sorts. And listen, he greeted people, he helped people, he honored people, he protected people. And let me say this, and it's an easy way to serve. You might look at that card and you say, my goodness, preacher, children's church, I don't want to do that. I don't work with young people. They drive me crazy. I don't want to be out in a, in a wannas. I don't want to be, I don't want to do all this stuff that's on this card. I don't want to greet people in a lobby. I don't want to do any of this stuff. But listen, let me say this. One of the most easy things that anybody in here can do. And you might say, preacher, I'm old. Well, I'm, get, I'm heading that way. I, but I feel like I'm 16 and, and, I, and I have that vigor within me. But listen, I've said many times, Caleb was 80 years old when he said, I want that mountain right there. Josiah was eight years old when he went to the throne. But let me tell you something. You might say, I've got all these health issues. I got all this stuff. I, I don't have time to get in the Lord's work. I don't have time to serve it. But listen, let me tell you something that every person in this auditorium can do today, starting today. And it has nothing to do with a shovel. It has nothing to do with a wheelbarrow. This is what every person can do today. today. The problem is this. Most of the time, after every service, people run in for doors and try to get out of here as quick as you. Listen, you know what? Every person, whether you crawled in here, rolled in here, walked in here, however you got in here today, every person can do this. You can look around right now and you can find somebody that you do not know their name. And before you get out of this church house, you can find that person and say hello. My name is Frank. What's your name? And how can I pray for you this week? Listen, what's hard about that? Oh, yeah, it might take you five extra minutes. 
but all of us can be involved in the ministry of fellowship. And I want to close with this last point. There's the ministry of worship. Last but not least, and I want you to see Romans 16, verse 25 and 27. Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of mystery, which was kept secret since the world began, but now is made manifest. And by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, made known unto all nations for the obedience of faith to God, only wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. Verse 27 here ought to be the bottom line for all of us, and that is to give God much glory. Yes, these are despairing days that we're living in, and they can be depressing days. Everywhere we turn, we see things that, as a child of God, it makes us sick and disturbed. But in spite of it all, there's never been a better time to share the gospel than right now. I want you to know something, friend. We're getting so close to heaven and the truth of the matter, we're closer today than we were yesterday. The thing is this, we've all got to keep our hearts fixed and set on heaven. The last thing in the world that any of us want to do right now is to take our eyes off Jesus. The best way to stay focused is to make it his work and his service and him the daily priority of your life. David asked this question is there not a cause? I want our musicians to come forward. And friends, let me tell you this, there truly is. The world needs to see Jesus in us today more than ever. And now it's time, we as a church, this church is not sitting on this hill for nothing. It's time to serve. And my question is, what will you do? You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, Visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.